and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk Advisory Board Chair L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. I'm joined today by Steve Craig, who is founder and Chief Enablement Officer, which also fortunately stands for CEO of Peak IDV. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Al. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Now, normally, obviously, CEO doesn't stand for Chief Enablement Officer, so I'm rather intrigued by your job title and and also your organization, because I've never come across anything like this. So do tell us a little bit about Peak IDV, and then we can talk about you know how you you got into this world. What does it actually stand for? Yes, absolutely. So the uh, Peak IDV organization is my company. I'm founder and CEO. And on paper, I am chief executive officer, but for the market and my external brand, I focus on this concept of enablement because Peak IDV is a learning hub for providers and practitioners, specifically in digital identity technologies. Uh, through Peak IDV, I provide education and insights, really with the goal to help teams be successful in this market. And so the the name Peak is to help companies achieve a peak, to achieve peak performance. That's amazing. And it's such a great synergy with marketplace risk. I mean, coming across you and your organization, it, it feels um, like such a great fit. And I'm sure that our audience and the, the people listening to the podcast will be really interested to hear more about what you do. But first of all, I mean, how did you get into this? I often say to my guests, you know, I don't think, you know, any of us sort of woke up one day, we're age sort of 14 or something and thought to ourselves, I know I'll, I'll get into, you know, marketplaces or fraud prevention or anything. It does tend to be a, a curvy journey. Tell me about your journey. Sure. Well, when I was eight years old, I always knew that I would work in the field of digital identity, and it's been there since now. I, um, you know, as a as a student, um, as a young person, I was enamored with internet technology, and I was one of the early people in my my classes to to use the internet and the web. And after college, I naturally started to work in technology businesses, and specifically financial technology. I've been in fintech and adjacent to financial institutions for 20 years. It was really the last eight years that I got exposed to identity verification. And I've worked at three of the top uh, platforms and providers of digital identity verification technologies. And I grew very passionate about the problems that we solve and how important it is for us all to have uh, control of our own identities because our identities are the most important things we possess. It allows us to use our bank account or prove that we have ownership over our home. Um, and so I've going to be really passionate about helping companies, including marketplaces and digital platforms, to understand identities and understand their consumers and, and really know who they're interacting with online. 
There's a real human side to this, isn't there? Because when we talk about things like ID verification, it sounds technical. It sounds, you know, like something that, you know, is, is to do with the, the internet. But actually, it's to do with people, isn't it? And um, that is something that it's really, you know, easy to get passionate about. And I can see why you feel that way. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, the concept of identity is, is not a, a modern one. You know, going back to the ages, people uh, sought to prove who they were, and that was in the early days with with things like a, a signet ring if you were emperor or king to prove your stamp or your seal. All the way through in the last, say, a couple hundred years, when we had paper documents that just described who we were, and people would read the description. So now we've moved from physical to digital you still have this very human problem of understanding who it is that you're interacting with and, and building trust. And trust is the foundation of any human relationship and any business relationship. You talked there about a couple of examples of, of what sort of pre-digital ID verification looked like. What were the early versions of digital ID verification? When did it first come into play uh, in, the, in the beginnings of the internet? If you look back on the beginnings of the internet and how uh, people authenticated with systems when you started to have information to be protected, it really began with something we still use today, which is a username and a password. It's this concept of, of knowledge that if you know something and only you know it, that can be enough to prove that you are who you say you are. And that evolved over the years as credit data and credit bureaus uh, became important parts of our financial lives, where many digital uh, businesses in the early days of the internet used that data to ask questions. You know, what was your car payment? Uh, what street did you live on? What county um, did you have a previous address in? And these things were leveraged because only you should know those. But as we've found with the rise of, of fraud and the dark web, that others out there know that information too. And so it's made it pretty challenging uh, for companies over the last few years to to use that as a, a proof point. And is this why it stopped being something that the company sorted out for themselves? And this is where presumably providers and practitioners and vendors came in and and, and created solutions that the companies could could use. Is this when it started getting sort of more technical and and something that they needed to outsource? Yeah, as, as the internet transformed from information to commerce and where individuals could start to make purchases and do transactions, some of the early forms of identity verification needs revolved around just proving that someone could make uh, a purchase. Uh, it was pretty common when, when you're making credit card transactions that someone could just say, I didn't do that transaction or someone copied that credit card number. So there was this need to prevent uh, fraud to prevent chargebacks on credit cards. But then banks and, and other financial institutions, lenders, they realized, hey, this is a great way to bring in new customers. So how do you capture information about them to create these accounts? And it started to push the need for more advanced technologies than just asking some challenge questions. And that created this, this process of um, you know, this evolution of, of where we are today with digital identity verification. So you must have a real bird's eye view on these providers and practitioners in this space. What what challenges do you see them facing these days? What what do, what do they come up against? Yeah, within Peak IDV, I focus on really two audiences. 
One are the providers of these solutions. Uh, these are the companies that provide digital verification capabilities. The second are practitioners and platforms, those companies that will use these solutions. And some of the challenges right now is the, the environment's very dynamic. So just in, in the last decade, uh, dozens and dozens of companies have emerged that have different ways of providing uh, digital identity verification. At the same time, there have been new regulations, new business models, new fraud schemes. It's all very tough to, to keep up with. And companies want to do the best they can to support their customers. They, they want to make sure that they can transact. They want to reduce friction, but they want to keep bad actors and those with malicious intent out of their ecosystems. So being able to sift through the various messaging, being able to differentiate, being able to just keep up with the pace of change is uh, pretty tough uh, across both of those audiences. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in turn, consumers will face challenges too. And they are obviously the ones that are actually interacting with the marketplaces and, and platforms um, in, in, that we're talking about. And, you know, what do they come up against? Because presumably if there's uh, different technologies and different regulations, and this is a, a, it seems like a fast moving space, what does that mean for, you know, for your average Joe? Many consumers don't have the level of knowledge that we do as, as providers or pr practitioners in uh, digital platforms or in marketplaces. They just want to complete their goal or their job to be done, um, to, to use a, a business jargon. They want to be able to open that account. They want to be able to get a ride or they want to be able to drive. They don't necessarily understand why a company is asking for the information that they're asking for. And everyone these days has their guard up. They're concerned about uh, fraud scams and phishing. And uh, we hear on the, the news and the media about accounts being hacked. So there's always a little bit of, of suspicion about questions that are asked. They want to have a easy experience as well. They want to take the, the path of least resistance. And so as consumers, as, as everyday individuals, we want to make sure that our data is going to be used in um, a positive way. We, we don't want to have our information or our identities um, captured uh, by fraud or, or, or by, um, or, you know, in some cases resold in ways that we don't want. And so for, for consumers, they, they really need to understand the process they're going through and why. And then with that, um, they, they need to have a great uh, overall user experience. They, they need to go through these steps pretty easily and seamlessly. Yeah, and and presumably, you know, from the from the marketplace point of view, just you know, not not put them off the the transaction by making things you know too difficult for them. It's a balance, isn't it? Just to to make sure that you're you're doing everything you can, but not to the point where it's like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. They're asking me for too much. It's an absolute balance because you want to be able to have an easy process, but you don't want to make it so easy that uh, someone who wants to take over your identity or impersonate you can do that um, easily. Right? You, you want to create some friction there for, for the fraudsters mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. bad actors. Most of us have used the type of ID verification that involves maybe you know, simply scanning a driving license, that type of thing. Um, what other sorts are out there? Because, you know, in the marketplace risk community, we, have, we you know, have and work with 
many ID verification providers and, you know, we see a lot of different technology coming in. Can you tell us a bit about some of the, the different faces, if that's the right word, when we're talking about selfies sometimes, what faces of IDV and, you know, what, what's, um, what's new as well? Sure, sure. The, the digital world often first emulates the physical world. And so when we think about how we prove our identities in the physical world, world, whether we're going to the bank and talking with a bank teller or we're going through airport security, is we have this piece of plastic that's been issued by a government authority that has our picture on it. We present that to whoever's asking us who we are and they look at that document, they look at our face, and if we uh, check out, then they let us on to complete our transaction or, or go through airport security. So naturally, digital systems started there. They started with this process of, well, hey, can we replicate that experience with now mobile devices that have great cameras? And can we take pictures of these IDs? And, and then of course, you can also take a selfie and you can replicate that experience. Um, many people think of that as identity verification, um, it has a name in the markets, document-centric identity verification, but it has grown to be a very common form and practice. And as people have engaged on various marketplaces and platforms, they've gone through that experience to prove who they are. But with that is there's a lot of steps. You have to go fetch your document. You have to then take pictures of it. You have environmental conditions. You have different hardware and different devices, and you have different levels of technical knowledge with the end consumer on how to do that. So new ways have emerged. Um, one is sort of built on the uh, origins of knowledge-based data. And this is a category I like to refer to as data-centric identity. This is where you're still using the personal data points, but you're connecting it with LinkedIn layered identity graphs that many of the providers out there have created to make predictions about whether this person really is who they claim to be through those linkages. And it can be done seamlessly in the background without having to ask for extra you know, pictures to be taken or for these extra steps. So that category data centric has become um, leveraged by a lot of the top marketplaces and digital platforms early in the enrollment process because it's just easier and it's more seamless. There's also another category that has emerged which leverages the device or the phone. What just about every consumer has now is a mobile phone sitting with them, whether or not they're at a desktop or a laptop, they have that device. And that device has our lives on it. It's also connected to our cellular uh, internet provider or, or, or our mobile phone provider, and it has characteristics that are unique to us. And so we've seen this evolution uh, from the data-centric method into device and phone-centric methods that can be very predictive of whether that consumer is really who they claim to be or if there's potential fraud. When you say characteristics that are unique to us in, in that sense, what do you mean exactly? In some cases, it could be biometrics. So how we as individuals hold our phones, whether we are left-handed or right-handed, the angles that we hold the device, uh, how we type, the speed at which we recall information. There are companies that exist in the market that now are creating those profiles uh, matched against that. Also, if you think about all of the different websites that we navigate and the services we use, there are specific patterns that can be linked to us as individuals. And when we think about location, uh, where you are adjacent to where you're doing the transaction, if you're in your home, 
and that device is in your home uh, and everything else matches up, that could be a very positive signal that you really are there and it's really you. Whereas if the device is in another country and it doesn't match up from a location standpoint and there's characteristics of how that device is being used, maybe it's upright in some sort of device farm, companies today can spot those uh, out of uh, the norm uh, characteristics and they can flag uh, risk signals that can then warrant other step-up verifications to make sure it really is that consumer or if, if there's something out of the norm. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's like an evolution that goes from us having to prove who we are by showing people things that tell us who we are to actually just being ourselves is enough because that's, you know, by being, yeah, by being us and doing the things we do, that's almost like enough to, to show it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. And, and that's what makes document-centric identity very powerful because you have your government-issued credential and you're connecting it to you, who you are. And you're doing a facial match and um, many of these systems do a, a liveness detection to prove that you're really there. Uh, but it's high friction. So if we can move to more passive capabilities, meaning they're done in the background, they're done more seamlessly than the end consumers, the average everyday uh, individuals that are using these services, they don't know they're even happening. And that just allows them to go about their business and to complete transactions and to have success at whatever they're trying to accomplish. That leads us really neatly onto the sort of evolution of digital identity. And certainly, you know, we're hearing a lot about Web3, what impact is that having um, on marketplaces with respect to identity and, and identity verification? When I look at each of the marketplaces out in the ecosystem and I look at all of the different providers, one thing that's really common is that each one of those um, is doing their own identity verification for consumer. So when you enroll with um, one platform, you provide maybe your identity documents or you're providing personal information about yourself. You go on to the next platform, you do the same, you do the same, and it just is very inefficient. Um, some of the large technology companies have tried to create this concept of a, a federated identity. Um, Facebook was one of the early companies to create this login with Facebook experience. And Google has one and LinkedIn has one and Amazon and, and, and many of the, the, the top companies have created that experience. But it hasn't really been focused on your true identity. It's just an ease of the experience. So we're seeing an emergence of a, a few concepts one is this idea of an identity wallet where you prove yourself once, you create a credential, and then you can put all of your relationships through that wallet. That starts to look like uh, a reusable identity uh, use case. There are also companies in the Web3, and, and these are companies that are building blockchain technology where you can establish a verifiable credential of your identity, and then you can assert that instead of providing uh, information over and over again. The power th powerful thing about verifiable credentials and the promise of Web3 is you shift from this centralized idea of this company or this platform owning your identity data to you owning it and you deciding who you share information with. And you can always uh, revoke uh, information or limit the information you share. So Web3, it's 
still evolving. We, we had a, a little bit of a setback, I think, with this crypto winter that we're in because cryptocurrency gets tied to Web3 often, even though they're, they're distinct. Um, but I believe that this market, uh, digital identity, will continue to evolve in that direction because it's just more efficient and it gives us more control over our data as consumers. When you say it's more efficient, is it still um, is it still open to abuse from fraudsters? The idea that that you are in charge of your your own, you know, identity in that way. You know, just I'm just thinking about how people can be unreliable. I can be as well. You know, it's like how how does that work? How is how how safe is it? Once you've created a credential, there is the challenge of continually proving that it's you asserting that credential. So we've started to see an evolution of identity verification, which leads down this path of continuous authentication. Authentication is the process of just continuously proving that it's still you. Because if you think about your device, perhaps you have your verifiable credential and it's stored on your device. You have your device unlocked and someone is able to gain access to that, or perhaps your phone is stolen and, and they, they're, they're actually um, crime rings that will have multiple people that will pay attention to the passcode you enter and then someone else steals the phone. If they can get access to your device, they could then take control of those credentials and in many cases, your digital life. So where the industry needs to go is more of these robust biometric capabilities that are deeply integrated to be able to provide that continuous verification process. There is an organization called the FIDO Alliance that is working with many of the large technology companies to create um, this concept called passkeys. And passkeys are on a mission to replace passwords because back to you know the early forms of internet, a username and password, if you get that information, you can also impersonate or you can take control of someone's account. And so it requires a, quite a bit of effort and evolution. Passwords are sticky and consumer behavior, most consumers still use them. So it will take time, but combining biometrics with the initial identity verification and doing so continuously is going to help prevent those scenarios where fraudsters can get through and um, take control. Yeah, it does feel like usernames and passwords have been around for such a long time. It's maybe time for a, a refresh on that, isn't it? Yes, please. And, and <laughs> I know about you, I've got so many different permutations of passwords and um, now I have a password manager that, that helps greatly, but it's they're still um, reachable. We've all got one. We've all got a password from so long ago that it sort of was relevant at the time or related to somebody that we, you know, an ex or something that is now not relevant at all. And you just think, gosh, am I still typing in that word? Just move (laughs) password one, two, three, four. You should change that. That's not a password anymore. Just in the last minute or so, um, Steve, I just want to ask you about AI because, oh my goodness, it's been everywhere in the media. And, you know, is, does this have a, an impact on um, ID verification at all? Are they sort of separate compartments? Is there any, is there any way that um, ID can, can get, uh, sorry, AI can get involved in that? It does. It does. It has a big impact. And what we've seen in the last year with uh, generative media is it's actually been around for a few years. So this concept of of deep fakes has existed. 
um, deep fakes are the use of deep learning, machine learning technologies to create synthetic imagery. Um, in the identity verification space, early use cases for, uh, I guess, fraudulent use cases were to create presentation attacks or spoofs of faces to be able to bypass some of these identity verification systems. But it's been in the last six months with chat GPT that people have seen the true uh, power of these use mm. cases and the democratization of this, this access of this technology. There's open source that's out there on sites like GitHub where people can build their own systems quite quickly. And that means fraudsters can use these systems. And um, what that uh, does to marketplaces and digital platforms and even some of these identity verification uh, systems is it changes the, the playing field quite a bit. Uh, companies need to keep up with regulation. They have uh, rules to abide by. Fraudsters, crime, ring, crime rings, bad actors, they can use the state of the art to, to do bad things. And so this process of creating fake profiles, fake identities, uh, picture-perfect identity documents using generative techniques, being able to create chatbots that can fish individuals at scale, uh, that can spoof uh, voices. Uh, there's been you know, recent media about um, uh, political figures that now there's fo photographic imagery of them getting arrested and it looks hyper real. We are, as consumers are going to have a very hard time knowing what is true and what is authentic and the same for marketplaces and platforms. How will they know what's true? And so this concept of you know, authenticity, but the authenticity of information is going to be really important. And authenticity of information starts with identity, really understanding the source and proving that it came from that person or it came from that organization. That's fascinating. Steve, I could talk to you for hours about this. It's so interesting. And I really liked hearing about the kind of, you know, the human side of, of it as well. Um, my my son is obsessed with the film Catch Me If You Can. And um, I know that that's, um, you know, it's almost like uh, the, the way that things have evolved since all that. Um, and now just having all this, you know, the AI and um, this evolution of digital identity, it's such an interesting subject matter. And I'm sure that it will evolve so fast that we'll need to catch up again um, sometime soon as well. Most definitely, most definitely. And thank you for making the time to speak with me, Al. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's been great, Steve. And just um, quickly, will you tell our listeners how they can find you at Peak IDV and also maybe reach out to you? I don't know, um, maybe on LinkedIn, but do just give up a, a little plug here for your organization because I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest. For sure, for sure. Uh, I welcome any email outreach. You can send me an email at steve at peakidv.com. Um, you can also find my LinkedIn profile. Just search for Steve Craig or Steve Craig Peak IDV. Um, I myself have a video podcast, so I uh, interview innovators, C-suite leaders, change makers in digital identity. Um, you can find that at executiveseries.peakidv.com. And I will be at Marketplace Risk uh, this, this year in San Francisco. So uh, meet me in person and uh, register for the conference. Brilliant. That's great, Steve. And yeah, thanks again for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Elle. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.